Well, shalom and God bless you, brothers and sisters. Welcome to Fruit of the Vine Ministries. My name is John Davison. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our study on the book of Esther. Today we're in chapter 5. This has been a series that we're going through understanding Esther, understanding the protocol to intercession, understanding our position that God wants our hearts to be in as the church and as the bride. Esther has been an amazing story so far. We've learned of plots of, of the demonic, the spiritual realm. We now understand so many things about uh, the demonic realm and, and how it tries to oppress us and tries to take advantage as, of us as believers. We've also learned what we must do and, and the areas of our lives that must come into subjection to Jesus Christ and how we must crucify our flesh so that we may be bold and, and how we can overcome in this world in these last days. And so now we're going to go deeper into Esther and her experience before she intercedes into the throne room, into the presence of the king on behalf of the people of God. So I'm in Esther chapter 5, and this is verse 1. It says, On the third day Esther put on her royal apparel and positioned herself in the king's palace courtyard so that she would be directly in line with the part of the king's throne room where the king sat facing the entrance of the room on his royal throne in the royal hall. Listen to what Esther did. It says that she positioned herself in alignment with the king's throne room. Hear me now. She didn't just go into some random place and start crying out. She put on her royal robes. Okay? Jesus gives us royal robes. Robes of righteousness, pure, spotless garments that we are supposed to maintain as pure and spotless. We're not supposed to get stained by the world. And it was Esther putting on her royal robes before she went into the presence of the king without righteousness, right standing. It says in the earlier chapter that she had grace and favor in the eyes of the king. Without the grace of God, without the favor of God, and without the pure spotless garments that, that Jesus gives us, there is no way for us to come into the presence of the king without dying. The law of the Medes and the Persians was that no one could enter the courts of the king without first being summoned. An unsaved individual who does not have the robes of righteousness from Christ who's not living in holiness unto the Lord, and who is not in a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, has no right to go before the King. They would be destroyed. Isaiah puts it this way, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. What happened? He was in the presence of the spiritual realm, experiencing the holiness of God, and he recognized his own sin and uncleanness before the Father. Without Jesus, if we were to enter into the presence of God, we would be consumed by the all-consuming fire. We would be destroyed in an instant. But thank God for Jesus, that through what Jesus did on the cross, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, and then we are to run the race and keep the faith and to keep our garments clean and spotless and blameless before his coming. And to keep our wicks trim, to keep the oil lamps full of oil, to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And it goes back to what we talked about in the previous chapter, 
where we talked about in Romans 8, where it says that we are to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh and gratify our own desires. I highly recommend, if you missed chapter 4, to go back and listen to chapter 4. So the queen positions herself so that the king would see her. Esther, the bride, positions herself before the king so that she can enter the king's presence. Why? Why is she entering the king's presence? Why is she putting her life on the line? Let me paint a little picture for you. Queen Esther, get this now. Queen Esther, it says in the previous chapter that nobody knew she was Jewish but Mordecai. The decree was to kill all the Jews. So, if she's already the queen, she already has all the treasuries, she has all the queen's garments and the crown, she has nothing to gain by going before the king unsummoned. They don't know she's Jewish. She's not going to die during the decree. It's not going to be carried out on her. She could live safely in her little castle. How many believers are just living safely in their little castle? How many believers have all the robes of righteousness? They have their crowns. They have everything that they need or they feel like they need in this world and are not willing to put themselves on the line because of the fear of man to go out and make disciples, to go out and share the gospel, to go out and share Christ. But this queen, who had everything to lose and already had everything this world had to offer, put herself in alignment with the king, even with the possibility of being rejected by him. That is the love that the bride of Christ is supposed to carry for the church, for our brothers and sisters. We are supposed to position ourselves in alignment with the heart of God for the church in weeping and wailing, in anguish, in fasting and in prayer for our brothers and sisters. That is the position that is in line with the king's courts. Listen to what happens. And I'll start again at verse 1. On the third day, this is the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal apparel and positioned herself in the king's palace courtyard so that she would be directly in alignment with the part of the king's throne room where he sat facing the entrance of the room on his royal throne in the royal hall. When the king saw Queen Esther standing quietly in the courtroom, she gained favor in his sight. So the king held out his golden scepter in his hand to Esther. The book of Hebrews tells us to go boldly before the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Mercy. God is not waiting to bash his beloved over the head. He's waiting for you to come to him. He's waiting for you to beseech in alignment with his heart and come into his presence. Esther, the bride, was the only one that had the position to petition the king on behalf of the people that were outside of the kingdom, who were strangers in a foreign land in Persia. How many people are a stranger to the kingdom of God? How many people don't know the kingdom of God? How many people don't even know the king? All they can do is walk around his courtyard, attempting to fast and mourn. Attempting. We could call this Islam. We could call this Hinduism. We could call it Buddhism. They're all outside of the court trying to reach a God 
but it can only come from being in a position of a bride that you can enter the king without destruction. It is only being holy unto the Lord, only with the robes of righteousness that Jesus provides, only with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and only with the finished work of Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins and revealing our value, that we can enter into the position where we can be in alignment with the king and he can hold out a scepter to us and say, come forth, my beloved, what is your request? Get this now. Verse 2. When the king saw Queen Esther standing quietly in the court, she gained favor in his sight, so the king held out his golden scepter in the hand to Esther. Esther approached and touched the top of the scepter, and the king said to her, Queen Esther, what do you want, and what is your petition? Even if it is up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. Wow. What is your request, and what is your position? How did we get here? How did we get here? How did we move the heart of the king? Through fasting, self-denial, prayer, anguish, and lack of the fear of man. Fearing man will stop us from moving forward in the kingdom of God. If Esther feared the king, okay, if she feared dying, get this, if she feared dying, she never would have been able to petition the king on behalf of the people. If you fear dying or you fear rejection, you're never going to reach out to the person that might reject you when you tell them about Jesus. You get in prayer, you get in fasting, you have an anguish for their lost soul, and you petition the king as a bride of Christ. We must do this through holiness. We must first repent of our sins. We must allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on things and allow him to purge those things so that we can have the garments that are required to go into his presence. And then we petition the king. And he says, what is it, my love? What can I do for you? That's what God's really waiting He's really waiting for his people to come before him in alignment with his heart. It says that if we ask anything according to his will, it will be done to us. What's his will? That none should perish. What's his will? To seek and save that which is lost. What's his will? That his church would come to the fullness of Christ. What's his will? That we would have all knowledge and understanding of the inheritance that we have in the saints. I mean, read through the Bible. There's a lot of things that God has for you. That's his will to give you. If you would ask him according to his will, he would give you those things. And you'll find out that it is more peaceful, more loving. It'll give you more than anything you could ever ask when you ask what he wants, when you ask for what he wants you to have. Because he's a good father and he knows what you need before you even ask. Verse 4, chapter 5, Queen Esther asked, If it pleases the king, what is she saying? If it's in alignment with your will, if it pleases the king. Let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for him. What's she asking for? Come and sup with me. If it's pleasing to the king, and now that I'm in now that I see you, now that I know who you are, now that I'm in your presence, come and sup with me. What is communion? What is communion? It's identifying. It is, it is a meal. 
you're having a meal. What is the Passover Seder? It is a meal. What was the Passover Seder, or what we would call the Last Supper? What was that? That was an intimate meal with the King of Kings, where he shared his heart with his disciples. And so now we see the bride, the church, petitioning the king to come and sup with them. Lord, bring your presence. Lord, come and eat with me. Lord, come and sup with me. What is eating? It's intimate. You're putting something in your body. You're sharing a meal with someone. You don't just share a meal with anybody. It doesn't happen. You share a meal with somebody that you want to get to know. You share a meal with somebody that you care about and you love. You share a meal with somebody that you have business with. You're trying to, to come to a mutual agreement. It's a banquet. It's a feast. And we will ultimately be at the wedding supper of the Lamb, that feast that takes place in the kingdom of God. And so Esther petitions him, come to a feast, king. Father, come to a feast and meet us where we're at. Come, bring your presence to this feast. Bring all you got. Then the king said, quickly, bring Haman so that he may accept the invitation to Esther. So the king and Haman came to the banquet to Esther to prepare. While drinking wine, the king said to Esther, for whatever you ask, it shall be granted to you, so that what is your request? Even if it is for as much as half the kingdom. And Esther replied, this is my petition and my request. If I have won the king's favor, if I have placed myself in alignment with you, if I won the king's favor, and it pleases, if it's your will, to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to another banquet that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do what the king says. Why two banquets? Well, I can tell you that sitting in the presence of a king and having a banquet with him and the person that's supposed to be his uh, second in command, if you will, I would say that's probably fairly intimidating. I would think so. How many of you have ever experienced the presence of God when you were in the middle of a service or in worship where it came over you so much, you were so overwhelmed with God's presence that you just broke down in tears and you had no idea, you couldn't do anything? You couldn't move. Do you think that that came over Esther when she really realized what was happening? When she really grasped the idea that she was really in the presence of the king and having a feast with the king? Aren't we like that when we finally meet Jesus face to face? When we're when we're in that intimate time with Jesus, we're so overwhelmed with his presence and we go, okay, Lord, I, I don't know if I can handle any more, but I want more. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I can do this again, but let's do this again. You know, it's that, it's that, this is so awesome, but I almost can't handle it, but this is so awesome, I want more. And I believe that's the struggle Esther's having. She goes, we, we need to do this again. Let's just do this one more time. And then I will tell you my petition. And then, now that we've had time together, now that you know me and I know you, now that we've had this intimate experience Let's do this one more time and then I'll ask you. Because now I know who you are, you know who I am, you know where we're at. So we'll look what happens after Esther experiences the presence of the king. This is a very important pattern. Esther experiences an intimate relationship with the king. She goes to petition the king. She goes to petition the king. She gets intimate with the king. After your intimacy with Jesus... Isn't it always interesting how the enemy seems to want to ramp up? He, he, he comes at us like almost stronger after we've had this intimate transaction with Jesus. Listen to what happens in verse 9. Haman left that day joyful and with a glad heart. Check this out. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate 
that he neither stood up nor trembled because of him. Then Haman was fulfilled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. We're going to jump down. Haman's crying to his wife. He's complaining. He's, he's frustrated. He's angry at this point. He, he says in verse 13, Yet for all this I am not satisfied when I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends suggested to him, Let a gallows, fifty cubits tall, be constructed, and in the morning ask the king if Mordecai can hang on it. Then go mer- merrily with the king to the banquet. And the suggestion pleased Haman. So he had the gallows constructed. Listen to this. Listen to this. Esther, the bride, went into the presence of the king. And once she got close to the king where she could make her petition, the enemy's attacks ramped up. Now all of a sudden, not only is it that, that, that the, the, the decree that was sent out is going to kill the Jews, now Mordecai, now the enemy, now the adversary, now Haman, now he's building a gallows. So now he's not just going to kill them, now he's going to publicly humiliate them and kill them. You see how the enemy ramps up his attack after we get in the presence of God? He just ramps it up. He just goes, well, now we've been in the presence. Now the queen's been there. Now your bride, now the bride is starting to get too close to the king. So now we're going to ramp it up and make it real difficult. Now you're really going to freak out. But wait, you don't have to worry. Expect these things to happen. But don't be moved by them when they do happen. Don't allow what you see to determine what is unseen. Jesus is king and he's sitting on the throne. You might not see that. Scripture says we do not yet see everything under his feet, but we see Jesus. And so Jesus is still king regardless of what we see around us in the gallows that are being built for us. Because the persecution and the tribulation will come in the anguish, in the intercession for the people of God. You don't really need to fast, the enemy comes and says. You don't really, you don't need to carry this burden. This is not... Look, Jesus' burden is light, and his yoke is easy. So, just throw all that off. You're thinking crazy. No. No. It's the enemy using scripture again to get you off course. He ramps up his attacks when we intercede for the people of God. These gallows are constructed. We're going to find out what happens in chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 in the next part of this series. Be prepared to see the heart of God moved when the people of God position themselves in alignment with the heart of God and the bride of Christ aligns herself with pure garments and seeks the king's face. So until next time, God bless you. Don't forget to go back and watch the rest of the series. Finish this out. You will be blessed. God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. This is John from Fruit of the Vine Ministries. And Shalom.